This week, as I have had opportunity to interact with different uh, members of our church, one of the things that, that I, I do want you to know, especially if you're a guest with us today, what I said at the very beginning of the service about that there have been people praying uh, for you and, and for the service. I don't, I don't say that lightly or flippantly, and that's not just kind of a, hey, this is how we intro the, the service all the time. One of the, the beautiful things that I see happen on such a regular basis in the life of our church is how dedicated so many of our, uh, of our regular members, attendees are to praying for this particular hour that we get together, but, but as an extension of that, that are praying specifically for you, even though they may not know your name or your specific circumstances of life. That it is that people that, that come into our orbit of relationships, whether it's in this worship service or whether it's somewhere through the week, and, and, and maybe you have got uh, feelings of skepticism, you're just not sure if this whole thing is true or right or this is really the only way, or, or perhaps there are just burdens that you're carrying that feel like a weight that, you, that might crush you. Uh, or you're just looking for some kind of, of, of place of hope in this world. I, I want you to, to rest assured in, in what I can tell you is an absolute fact, is that there are people that are faithful Christians in this church that have prayed that, that somebody like you is going to meet hope today, that you're going to encounter hope today. And, and we find that in the work that God does through our lives. I, I don't have a, a grand philosophy to hand to you this morning. I don't have a, a three-ring binder that is a manual for life that's going to chart out your every day. But what I do have to hand to you is Jesus, you know, the one who was willing to die for our sins, the one who was willing to, uh, to go and stand in the gap on our behalf. And so, as, as I got into this month of, of of studying and preparing uh, to teach on the, m the mission of the church. I have uh, called it uh, the, the idea of us having a 3M kind of church. And, and so last week I introduced this one, two, three kind of idea that I just want to remind you of. And then in a few moments, I'm going to ask you to find your way over to the book of Philippians. That's about uh, a third of the way through the New Testament. And we're going to look at a passage in Philippians chapter 2. But I, I want to remind you of what I said last week about what it is that we can be and continue to be, that what we have been and what we should be as a church. And, and that is, number one, is that we have one goal. A, as a church, we have one goal, and that is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is our one goal. This is the one thing that we do. And we do that one thing because there are only two categories of people. And those two categories of people in the world are, are not uh, my ethnicity and everybody else's ethnicity. It's not rich and poor. It's not, uh, you know, it, it's not citizen or immigrant. It's not here or there. Uh, the, there's only two categories of people in the world, and it's lost and saved. People who are in a relationship with Christ and those people that are looking for hope spiritually, and it's something that if we are doing number one, that we are honoring God with our lives by helping people find hope and healing in Jesus, then we're helping to move people out of that category of I'm lost and I don't know where I'm going and I don't know where my hope is, 
over to the category of, of Christ has done this immense work on my behalf and I am saved. And we as a church can, can accomplish this by engaging in three specific activities, and that is to multiply, mature, and mobilize Christians. That if we will help one another uh, in the work of multiplying the number of Christians there are in the world by sharing our personal faith through testimony and personal evangelism, you know, sharing it with a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, if we will engage in multiplying the number of believers by ensuring that we as a church are always telling the story of Jesus, that we never allow ourselves to, to get boiled down to just trying to do behavior modification with kids and teenagers and adults. We just want everybody to act right because we don't act right because we're all bad. And, and so we need Christ to, to stand in the gap and we need Him to transform our souls that we can help multiply the number of believers, the, and that the believers that are in the world, we help one another mature and grow up in our faith and extend our faith and deepen our faith. And, and then we mobilize. We get active. That we meet needs. We care for people. We plant churches. We do compassionate ministries and care. That's who we have been, and that's who we are, and that's who we need to continue to be as a church family. And this morning, I want to focus in on that second activity of mature. Now, what is it that the Bible has to say about how people that have committed their lives into uh, the, the kingly sovereignty of Jesus, trusting that He is the one who died in our place for our sins, we put our faith in Him, how do we continue to grow in our faith, expand our understanding of what God has done for us. Well, that's where I want us to land for a few moments here in Philippians chapter 2. Here in, in this particular passage, if you take some time today to maybe read the whole chapter, you'll see that in the passage that precedes this, that it is a, a bit of a hymn. It's kind of a song that Paul writes about the nature and the character of Christ and how we need to have the same attitude and mind that Christ has of being servants. And then on the, on the heels of telling us that we need to be like Jesus, we need to be servants, that's where I pick up here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. And let me read down through verse 18. It says, Therefore, my dear friend, friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to His good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing, but even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Uh, let's just pause for just a moment and just a, a short prayer uh, that God would help us. Father, uh, your word has so much to teach us more than any uh, one 30-minute sermon can ever contain. But I would ask that your, your, the power of your Holy Spirit 
would be known to all of us. Lord, from the most cynical in the room to the one who has been a Christian and walked with you the longest, that for each one of us that you would guide us toward the hope that is found in Jesus so that we can grow up in that faith. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. So out of this passage, let me just give you five ideas to hang on to, maybe as you work through it on your own and your own personal reading. Uh, the first idea that I'd ask you to, to take note of is that our salvation includes a call for spiritual growth. There are some people that, man, they just want to get over the threshold of faith. They just want to get the eternal fire insurance. Uh, they just want to know that I'm going to go to the good place and not the bad place. And so uh, they cling to the idea of the Christian faith as just a way to get out of trouble with God. But I want you to see both in this passage, and I would challenge you to, to look through the whole of the Scriptures, all of the Bible, all of our Christian faith, that, that the entrance into the Christian faith, that it inherently has a call for you to grow up, for you to mature in your faith. Uh, your salvation is an eternal reality that is not going to change. Uh, once you are, you are gripped by Christ and you have become a child of God, nothing ever reverses that course. Uh, as one uh, great theologian once said he's, uh, about the idea of our security of our salvation, he said, if any man could lose his salvation, all of us would lose our salvation. I, I mean, if, if you could, you, are, you will. But that's why the, the great work of Christ is that we trust in it on our behalf. Uh, we are saved because of the work that Christ has done, and we have an eternal reality that our standing for, before God has changed. But we have this opportunity in this life to mature in our understanding of both who God is and what God does. Now, you might, every once in a while in the context of church, hear uh, the term sanctification. Now, that's a, not necessarily a word that you use on a regular basis. Uh, you, don't talk, you don't go around the grocery store talk, asking people if they've been sanctified. I mean, every once in a while in traffic, I wonder if anybody's been sanctified, and I'm pretty sure of the answer. Um, but the whole idea is that you and I are saved, and so that's an eternal reality, but then there's this process for this life that we are sanctified, and, and that's just a big theological term that means that you are becoming more and more holy, that you are becoming more and more mature. In, in, in very kind of blunt terms, you are looking more and more like Jesus. You're imitating Him more and more. And, and here in this passage that I've read, he says there in verse 12, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, Paul is writing to this Philippian church, and he is saying, you got to work this thing out. Like, you got to be active in your faith. Your faith is not something that you, are, that you should be passive about, but something that you have an active pursuit of making this the, the habits of your life that you want to grow up in your faith. And he says that you do it with fear and with trembling. Now, our English language fails us a little bit in this place because we think of fear and trembling as like I've, I've suddenly been launched into a horror movie and there's a bad guy that is waiting out to jump scare me. But it's not that kind of fear and trembling. This is the idea that God is involved here. 
And when God is involved, then there should be a sense of awe and wonder in our lives. That I do this in, that, in this biblical notion of the fear of God is not that I am horrified of God, but I understand that heaven is his throne, earth is his footstool, that there's this great chasm between the nature of God and the nature of man. And so I do this in a way that, that I am honoring who he is, that he is utterly different than I am. And so I work out my salvation. I stay active in the pursuit of faith and of holiness and of, and of godly living because I understand God is involved here. And there is really, in a real sense, there's a mandate. It's not just a request. This is a mandate for growth because God is great and He is worthy of our active pursuit of growing closer to Him and becoming more like Him in this life. So if you find yourself in a position that you say, well, I am a Christian, but you would, if you had to be honest, I mean, if you had to give an honest answer and you say, well, I am a Christian, but honestly, I'm kind of lazy about it. Well, this is a verse that's for you, not to browbeat you, but to motivate you that He wants you, He desires for you to work out your faith because He's worthy, that this worthy God of the universe has reached out through eternity in order to persuade your heart and convince you that faith is worth the journey and faith is worth the, the, the inheritance that you're going to gain of salvation, and so be active in your faith. So our, our salvation inherently includes a call for spiritual growth. Secondly, spiritual growth is encouraged by the relationships of believers. One of the things that I love about uh, reading and studying through a book like Philippians is that I know that it's not just for me alone. Is that when Paul, the apostle, the early leader of the church, writes most of his letters, they are written to entire congregations. Now, I know that it's our habit in our devotional lives, and it's a good habit, is that I sit down with my Bible alone in a room or in a chair, in a study, in your favorite place in the house, and you read it quietly and meditatively inside of your brain. You do it alone. This is not how the original hearers of this letter did it. Instead, Paul wrote this letter, and it's called Philippians because it's written to the church at Philippi, which is a city, and the people who lived there were called the Philippians, and this was written into an entire congregation. And so the pastor of the church at Philippi would have received this letter from Paul, and he would have stood up in front of the entire congregation and read it aloud to them. And as you read through a book like Philippians, you'll notice that all of the pronouns, most of them, are plural. He's telling them that this is what we do together because the Christian faith is best served as we do it with friends, both old and new. There's no reason for you to ever seek to grow in your faith alone. You don't have to do this by yourself. This is the work that we do together. Now, there's all sorts of stuff that we do together, but this is the stuff of Christianity. This is the core of who we are and what we should do as a church, is that our core competencies should revolve around the idea of how do I help you and how do we help each other grow as believers. And the maturity of believers is accomplished most effectively 
when we are related most personally to one another. This is how we grow, because your participation in somebody else's life may promote faithfulness, because they're going to be able to see up close and personal what it looks like for a person to be growing in their faith, and that's going to help them to grow in their faith. The way that another uh, particular verse puts it, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 24, there is a, a verse there that says that we should provoke one another to love and good deeds. Now, that's not like provoke with a cattle prod. Now, parents, I know. Parents, I get it. I, I, I got two boys that sometimes you wanted to cattle prod them into cleaning their rooms or doing whatever. But this is more of a, we want to step into the framework of another person's life, and, and, and sometimes that stepping in, sometimes that is uh, loving encouragement because their, their heart is heavy and burdened. Sometimes it's accountability because their heart has grown hard and maybe selfish. Sometimes it is, uh, it is stepping in to help them to know more about Christ where they have a lack of an understanding. But we provoke one another, and ministries of our church should always facilitate a deeper understanding of God's Word and our obedience to it. And so, knowing that our salvation includes an inherent call to grow, and knowing that spiritual growth is encouraged by the relationships that we have with believers, then thirdly, I would say about this passage, in all of this, what we see is that only God has the power to both save and sanctify. There's that word. Only God has this power. One of the great uh, mysteries about the Christian life uh, that is a beautiful reality is the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Uh, the, the Scripture teaches us that at the moment that you are saved, you are indwelt by the Spirit of the living God. Now, I don't know, I don't pretend to know exactly how that happens. I just know that this is, this is what the Scripture teaches us. And here's a great example of the encouragement about this. Because here in verse 12, it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And if you just put a period and a full stop there, then suddenly like, holy cow, that is like, that's a big order. That is a big ask by God that somehow I've got to take the eternal realities of salvation and I've got to figure out how to work that out in my daily life. But that's not a full stop there. Look at what it goes on to say in verse 13. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to His good purpose. You see, the path to maturity runs exclusively through the God who initiated and completed your salvation. At the moment that you think, I can't do this, I cannot grow in my faith, I don't know enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not nice enough, I'm not moral enough, my flesh desires the old things of the world, you can say, yes, right, absolutely. So it is a good thing that when God says to me, grow up in your faith, work out your salvation, that he immediately says, because I'm the one that's working in you. All of the stuff that you don't have, all of the willpower that you don't have, it is God who is working in you to do this work. I mean, aren't you, aren't you immeasurably and immensely happy that God never abandons us 
to our legalistic tendencies. That what we want are just rules, just give me the rules and I'll keep the rules, just show me the rule book and I'll just live by the rules, I'll know every little jot and tittle, I'll know every little nuance, I'll know every little thing about it, just give me the rules. And then I will just push those rules on everybody else I know and we're just going to make a nice moralistic society. God does not abandon us just to our own legalistic tendencies. He also doesn't, after our salvation, say, well, I got your, I, I've got your eternity secure, but I'm not hanging around, and you're just going to have to work on how to overcome your fleshly desires. You're just going to have to work that out yourself. You know, whatever your penchants are for lust, sex, greed, money, selfishness, bitterness, anger, hatred, you've got to work all that out on your own. He doesn't just abandon us to have to work out on that. And he doesn't just abandon us to come up with our own religious notions. Because, I mean, if we'll look across the landscape of humanity, we have come up with a bunch of crazy religious notions. I mean, we come up with all kind of mess. And God does not just abandon us to those things. Instead, the one who calls us to salvation is the one who then works in us after we are saved, and he offers us an everyday power, an everyday access to Him so that He will work in us. So this God who has the power to save and sanctify leads me to the fourth point. And the fourth is that God matures us both internally and externally. God is, is intentional in that He wants to make sure that every part of your life is growing in Him. He doesn't want to leave anything out. He doesn't have the intention that He's going to get part of your activity sanctified and really looking like Jesus, but He's going to leave your mind and your willpower alone. Instead, He does say here in verse 13 in that second part, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to His good purpose. He wants you to have an internal maturity because our want to is busted, all right? Our want to, to do the right things, to, to walk with Christ, to be faithful, it is busted. It is broken. And so He works in us so that we would have the right will, so that we would desire what it is that God desires. I, one of the, the things about prayer, which we're really good at praying for stuff that we want, I mean, getting the grocery list, the laundry list together, the Christmas list as to what it is that we want God to do, one of the things that God does in us is He helps us to desire the things that He desires. And if you find yourself in a place where it's like, I don't know that I've got necessarily the same desires that God does and my prayers always turn into a wish list, then here would be my encouragement. The next time that you're going to sit down to pray, thinking of these verses in mind, just say, God... The thing that I want most is to want what you want most. Help me to want the thing that you want. And start out your request of God of requesting that He will give you His request. What is it, God, that you want to accomplish both in my life and in our community and in our church and in other people's lives? Help me to want what you want because it is God who is working in you to will but also to work according to His good purposes. He wants there to be in your life an external fruitfulness because He's working both internally and externally in your life. And here in verse 15, He tells us a little bit about what that external fruitfulness might look like. He says, so that you'll be blameless and pure 
children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. If we will hold firm to the word of life, meaning Christ and his word, then we can shine like stars. We can spread light where there is darkness. And, and, and sometimes we, we back off a little bit by saying, well, I'm just one little guy, I'm just one little gal, and this is a big wide world, and this is a lot of trouble in our community, and that neighbor of mine, man, they are, they're, they're, their life is so jacked up. I don't know that I can make any kind of difference in the darkness that they're existing in. But it was the great evangelist many years ago, D.L. Moody, who once said, even the smallest star in the darkest night makes a huge difference. And so if you will commit yourself to allow Christ to work in you, and if you'll hold on to the word of life, he will help you to shine like a star, even when the generation in which we live, we look out and we say, this is a dark this is a crooked, this is a, in the words of Paul, a perverted generation. He was speaking this into the context of the Roman Empire, which was a very crooked and a very nasty place to live. But, it, but we have to remember as believers, uh, we have not yet moved into the kingdom of God. We're still living in Babylon. I mean, we're still living in the world where things are broken, where, our, where people's lives are broken. And he says, as long as you live in a place that's broken, you have the opportunity for God to work in you in order to work on your will so that you will desire the things that God desires, and He can work on your lives so that you can act the part, so that you can live it out, so that you can shine like stars in a place that people need light. And finally and fifthly, as I think about all of this, about how our salvation includes a call for spiritual growth, how spiritual growth is encouraged by the relationships that we have with one another how it is that God is, is the, the one who has the power to both save and sanctify, and that sanctifying worketh both internally and externally. Uh, finally, I would say that, that what we see here in even the testimony of Paul, because he can't help but express his love for these believers, is that number five, sacrificing for another's growth is always worth it. It's always worth it. This is the thing that is always worth our effort, is our sacrifice, our willing to share. As you get down to kind of the tail end of this passage that I've read, Paul says here in verse 17, because at the time that Paul writes Philippians, he's actually imprisoned. He's actually chained to a wall. He's been arrested uh, as somebody who is a, uh, who's causing problems for the Roman Empire and for the Jewish nation. And it says there in verse 17, but even if I am poured out as a drink offering, and he's referring to a, a type of sacrifice in the temple of the Old Testament, he says, but even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And in the same way, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Uh, there is nothing better that we get to do as Christians than to help somebody else grow in their faith in Christ. Paul was glad. He rejoiced in the idea of giving a sacrifice of his life 
for the work of helping believers to mature. This is what should make us glad. This is what should make us smile in the morning, that I'm going to get to interact with a friend who's on the journey to becoming a Christian. I get to interact with a friend who is a believer that needs some encouragement. I get to interact with a friend who I know that they're going to encourage me in my faith and in my walk with the Lord, because right now I feel like my knees are buckled in a little bit, but this person is going to come alongside of me. That is the sacrifice that we should be glad to give to one another. This is the thing that should make our hearts soar and sail. This is one of the reasons why I want every one of you in this room who attends worship to be in what we refer to here as a life group. Some people call them a Bible study group or a a Bible fellowship group or a Sunday school class. That's why we all need to be in a small group of people that are studying the Word together, caring for one another, carrying each other's burdens together, because this is the sacrifice that is worth everything. You have heard me on several occasions talk about the life group that Angie and I host in our home on Sunday nights with some of the young couples in our church, and it is one of the most life-giving times of our week. Now, sometimes, uh, guys, y'all stay really late and I'm getting old, okay? Uh, but, but I tell you what, I go to bed sometimes a little tireder than I would have expected on Sunday nights, but refreshed in my heart because I've, I've been encouraged by young adults and, and their kiddos, and, we, and sometimes it gets loud in our house, and it's a wonderful and beautiful mess, and tonight is taco night, so tell your friends and, and bring them along. And, and, and so we get this time together where... These guys and these gals, they are willing to study the Word and to pray for one another and carry each other's burdens. They are willing to make sure that each one is cared for. And I see that happen on Sunday morning in our classes that are right here on campus of people checking in with each other and caring for one another and helping one another. And I hear about it during the week when people meet in order to go visit somebody in the hospital that's in their life group, Sunday school class, Bible study group, when they get together to pray for one another, when they get together to pray for the burdens of the community and of the church, when they get together to worship and they sing hymns together on Sunday mornings, one of my favorite parts of Sunday mornings I've never told you about, one of my favorite parts is when I actually sit all alone in my study on Sunday morning. Some of you know where my office is over in the admin building uh, over on the, on the 13th uh, Street side of the building. And, I, and uh, my friends that are up in the balcony, uh, I sit right under Sixto. I sit right underneath y'all's class. And this is our, our Bible study group on Sunday morning that they, they do all of their Bible study in Spanish language. Because, and, and I can't really hear what it is that they're talking about. I just hear them because they're right above me. But one of the beautiful things that I love to hear on Sunday mornings is when they sing hymns together and songs together. And, and, and oftentimes, they, sometimes they sing in English and sometimes they sing in Spanish. And I hear them encouraging one another. I hear them provoking one another to love and good deeds. And, and when I walk through the hall and, and Claude uh, McGavick, when I hear your class singing hymns together and I hear the, that upright piano you know, being played and people singing together and enjoying fellowship together, when I walk around and I eat food out of your classrooms... Um, I appreciate that Uh, because it was stale cereal I got a hold of this morning at my own house. That's my own fault. Um, I, I, I see people not just sharing food and not just sharing a room, but I see them sharing their lives with each other. And it's worth it. 
And I want you to know that if you're here this morning and you have not become a Christian, that maybe you have not become a Christian because you feel like alone and trapped in the world and you wonder if these Christian people are the real deal and is this a real thing and will these people really accept me? And I want you to know that every one of us is so broken and so overrun with worry in this world and we are so overwrought with temptations that assault us and assail us. And some of us have got stories that where life brutalized us at one point and we carry battle scars from this world and from what other people have done to us and done in our lives. And, and, and some of us, man, we stubbed our own toes and we have tripped over our own feet, and, and we saw that ditch of just destruction, and we just threw ourselves in it because we just, were, we just didn't have any better sense. And so wherever it is that you are, I want you to know that you are us. Like, to quote the, you know, the title of a great show right now, this is us. This is us. And not only do we want, it's not that we want to get your name on our church roll. That's not the point. It's not that we want you to just go through some religious ritual. It's what we want you to be us. We want you to come into this family so that we can all walk together toward maturity, so that we can all walk together under the power of God's great Holy Spirit, of how He, he works in us to will and to work according to His good purposes. And I just want to encourage you today that if you find yourself in a position where it's like, well, I'm I'm not a Christian yet because I've always wondered if these people are the real deal. Like, I'm one of the newer people here, and I can tell you, these people are the real deal. And this is what we want for you. And, and this is a group of people that will fulfill exactly the example that we saw here in Paul, that I, I will pour myself out. They will pour themselves out. We will pour ourselves out like an offering, like a sacrifice to God in order to help you to grow in your faith. We will meet you where you are. We will walk with you all along the way. And all that God is asking is that you take the step of faith to trust that Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sins. And then after being dead for three days, that he rose victoriously from the grave. And he says, if you will believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you will confess with your mouth that he is Lord, if you will just confess and believe, he says, you will be saved. And for those of us that are believers in the room today, I just would encourage you to, to once again commit your life to maturing in your faith, that being a baby Christian is not worth it, but instead growing up and sacrificing everything you have, sharing every part of your life possible, is worth giving it all up so that other people can mature and grow in their faith. Let's pray together. Father.